Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest running hiking podcast downloaded over three quarters of a million times in over 145 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 227 of the Australian Hiker Podcast. And in this week's episode, we provide an introduction to the Great Ocean Walk in Victoria. We hope you enjoy. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice so that each episode is available as soon as it's published. And if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. As we record this podcast, we're five days out from starting our 100-kilometre journey on the Great Ocean Walk in Victoria. This walk has been on our plan for a number of years, and due to bushfires, due to COVID, due to a number of other reasons, we haven't been able to do it over the last few years. Uh, and partly I, was, I wasn't allowed to do it because this was a walk that Jill wanted to do as well. Yeah, you can't have all the fun, can you? We finally managed to get a roughly a week together that we could actually go through and do a walk, and this was the one we went through and picked. Now, as the name suggests, the Great Ocean Walk is just that. It's on the south coast of Victoria, going between Apollo Bay to the east and the Twelve Apostles to the west. This walk is, depending on where you look at, is anywhere between about 100 to 110 kilometres. And you add up all the distances from campsite to campsite, uh, and you do end up with 100 kilometres. But I'm sure there'll be some... Uh, walking around the campsites and just some ad hoc stuff where we go and look at things uh, or we take alternate routes that may actually change what we're doing. Now let's go through and look at some of the facts before we go into this walk. Logistics wise this walk has been built as an eight-day walk. There are a number of campsites uh, ranging from roughly around about the 10 to 15, 10 to 16 kilometre mark along the coastline. These campsites are either for individual tents uh, or for group sites, uh, for larger groups, uh, and they cater for both. And there are some options to be able to stay in uh, rest houses or uh, accommodation along the way, although not always necessarily timing in with what the walk is like. There are a number of companies that do guided walks along this trail, uh, and again, I know that some of them even advertise they pick you up at the end of each day, take you to accommodation, bring you back to start the next day. So this really is a, a walk where you can choose to do it uh, as rough or as uh, upmarket as you like, uh, so glamping for one of a better term. We've chosen to do this walk in six days, partly from a point of view of it suits us well. I mean, we could, we do have the ability to actually do this walk over eight days. So should something go wrong or something happen, we do have a bit of flexibility there. Uh, but certainly, you know, from our perspective, had there been a the ability to walk without having any weather-based issues, we would have done this walk probably over four to five days. 
Um, you know, doing a walk 20 to 25 kilometres is not unreasonable for uh, what we tend to do these days. So we really do have some shorter days planned compared to what we typically will do, but there are reasons for that. The potential for this really is to travel in either direction. You can either start at Apollo Bay and finish at the Twelve Apostles or start at the Twelve Apostles and finish at Apollo Bay. Um, but the recommendations you see on the website in the available guidebook all tend to work on starting at Apollo Bay and travelling westward. Now, from my perspective, I mean, the sun, sun rises in the east, so it means certainly the first half of the day you've got the... Uh, the sun behind you, uh, and particularly if you're only doing sort of 10 to 14 kilometres, it's more than likely going to mean you've you've missed the sun before it. You've got you staring at it into your face later in the afternoon. So if you were travelling from the Twelve Apostles and heading back to Apollo Bay, you pretty much are going to be having a look or staring into the sun for a lot of the walk back. I tend not to worry too much about that. I've usually got a hat and sunglasses on, but for some people that is a consideration. From our perspective, um, it's also a bit about transport. Um, we don't have two cars to play with, so we're going to be leaving our car, in our case, at the, uh, the 12 Apostles end of the trail, uh, and we've actually organised to leave that at the hotel we're staying at, and they were quite happy for us to do that. Uh, we're going to be getting transport back to Apollo Bay and then walking back to our car at the 12 Apostles, um, and we've got a night's accommodation booked at either end for that uh, that uh, walk. So it means that uh, we get our lift, which I'll talk about in a moment, back to Apollo Bay on the Sunday morning. Uh, we start walking around about 8.30 in the morning. Uh, and at the end of the trip, uh, we've got a shortish, shorter day, uh, and we end up back at the hotel. Yeah, and that was really um, advice from uh, the locals, and um, I guess that's always the good thing to do, which is uh, tap into local knowledge and have a conversation about what works best, um, mostly in terms of logistics, but it could have been for a whole range of other reasons. And I think the thing with walking back to your car, now again, whichever direction you choose to pick, if you walk back to your car, it doesn't matter whether you arrive uh, five hours early or five hours late, if you've booked transport or have to be there at a particular time, that really does sort of force you to walk at a certain pace, whether you feel like it or not. So for us, um, and I'll talk about distances now, uh, for us, the, the last day is relatively short by our standards, um, which means we're more than likely going to be finished by lunchtime. So, so what's relatively short, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> That's 16 kilometres. In relation to distances, our six days are 22 kilometres on the first day, 21 kilometres on the second, 14 kilometres on the third, 14 kilometres on the fourth, 13 kilometres on the fifth, and on the last day, the sixth day is 16 kilometres. Now, this is where it becomes a bit harder to sort of join some of the later days up. The first two days, we're joining 10 and 11 kilometre days, uh, so we're merging the first four days into two and coming up with that 22 and 21 kilometre distances. If we try to do that on the, the last days, we end up with 28 kilometres or 29 kilometres. So while that's doable, uh, we just decided to take things a bit more relaxed, particularly at the end of the walk. Yeah, and uh, those sort of length of days when you really need, you know, when it's essential that you do 
days that long, uh, you know, sometimes you can run into trouble um, having planned such a long day, uh, particularly when we're nearing the end and nearing the point at which we need to get to a certain place at a certain time. And we'll talk a bit more about that in relation to the weather and the ocean conditions in a moment. Now, for a lot of trails, uh, there often tend to be trail fees. In this case here, there is no specific fee to do this trail itself, but there are camping fees. So the campsites uh, at the time of us doing this trip at the end of August, early September in 2022, the campsites for Jill and I are $17.40 per night. The group campsites uh, are a bit cheaper, but you've obviously got more tents to pay for in that respect. So it's not a huge amount of cost as far as accommodation is concerned. So call it $18, you're roughly around about $100 for camping fees for the trip. So that's not a huge uh, impost as such. A few episodes ago, we talked about wild camping, and Victoria is one of these sort of sites where Camping in the middle of nowhere is frowned upon. You are supposed to camp in designated campsites. Uh, and this means that uh, really you do need to book from, from campsite to campsite. So this is probably the limit to how many people are actually, um, I won't say doing this trail because there's nothing stopping day walkers coming in and doing sections of it, which a lot of people are going to do. But it does limit the number of people, the same people you're going to see each day because there are a limitation in the number of campsites that are there. Um, But there are other um, options, I guess, in terms of doing uh, this hike. So you don't necessarily always have to um, camp. And as you were saying, Tim, you can do day sections, but you can also do supported, uh, supported hiking as well. So, yeah, there are there are plenty of options on how you do this walk. The other cost we've got associated with this walk is the first nights and the last nights and motel accommodation. And again, which which level of accommodation you choose is really going to be up to you. But you know the the accommodation we've chosen is is pretty average for for uh, motels uh, in the middle of nowhere that aren't classed as luxury <laughs> luxury resorts. Okay. <laughs> Not, not necessarily in the middle of nowhere. I'm sure the locals don't no, feel that. No, they're not. They're actually quite close. And in fact, there is a large number of motels and accommodation uh, available, particularly around that 12 apostles. Uh, and then there's uh, motels uh, scattered along the way as you go as well. We've also got petrol costs. So in our case, we're going to be driving uh, on the Saturday, which is not that far away, down to Victoria. We're going to leave Canberra in the morning, uh, spend the day driving to basically the 12 Apostles, which I think we've worked out is around about 10 hours worth of driving all up. Yeah, I think it's just under. Yeah, again, really there's no other major expenses associated with this apart from getting there. And again, if you happen to live in the area, that's probably not going to be a major issue as such. Now onto the trail tread for the Great Ocean Walk. As the walk implies, this is very much an ocean-based walk. You are very much hugging the coastline and there are options to walk along beaches and rock platforms to link the trail as it goes. And in most cases, but not all, there are alternate routes. And these alternate routes will take you off the rock platforms and off the beaches in some instances. And Parks Victoria do actually put a, I'm not going to say a warning, but they do actually say 
where there is an alternate route, they recommend that you take it. Uh, now, some of the alternate routes might only bypass sections of rock platform of four or 500 metres. Others might be sort of a, a bit over a kilometre. So it's really going to depend on what the conditions are like and what the weather is like. Now, for us, we've come through a period of a lot of rain over the last few weeks. Certainly four or five days ago, there was strong wind and marine warnings along that area of the coast. And this is something we do have to consider uh, with doing this walk. If there are strong winds and high seas, that's certainly going to force us into taking the alternate routes where they're available. And if we choose to do the ocean routes, the recommendation is you do them at low tide. Otherwise, potentially, you're going through either deep water or strong flowing water. So it's a matter of picking the timing and getting hold of a copy of tide charts and carrying it with you just so you know what the tides are and where you're supposed to be going. The guidebook for this walk does actually have, uh, it, it breaks it up into an eight-day walk and it has uh, different decision points uh, along the way and says, okay, decision point here, uh, decision point here, uh, alternate route here, alternate route there, and it gives you the distances. So it might say you've got a 500-metre section along rock platform or beach before you back off the, back up above the uh, the, the waterfront and back up on top of the uh above the sand dune level. Yeah, and uh, the fact that we're doing it in six days rather than eight, um, we might find that uh, that's going to cause a few challenges for us in terms of those uh, water crossings and potentially the tides. So um, we are alert to that and we'll just see um, see what happens. As far as the trail itself is concerned, it's either natural trail, uh, it's beach, rock platform. There are... Obviously, because you're going up and down to up off the cliffs and down onto the beachland areas, there are some constructed stairs and the images in the guidebook show these as being timber in a lot of cases. There are, in some instances, wooden, I don't know what the best term here is, they're not slats, but they're, they're basically wood that when you're going down a steep, sandy sort of uh, area, it means you've got something that you're not going to be sliding down sand or struggling to come back up it. So there is infrastructure. There's also that plastic mesh they use in a lot of areas to help restrain or retain the sandy sort of soils. And there are some boardwalks in some smaller areas as well. But in a lot of cases, these walks tend to be uh, naturally based trails. In relation to facilities along the trail, there are a number of campsites. And as I mentioned, there are typically group campsites and solo slash couple campsites and there are limit, limited numbers of these each of the areas. And at the time we're doing this, if you go onto the Great Ocean uh, website, there is a series of warnings saying trail warnings. And in the case of where we're looking at, some of the sites have some of the tent sites closed because of the, the conditions and flooding they've had over the last uh, number of months. So it Yay. Means, <laughs> It means that basically you know, it, there are going to be some campsites where there's only a few people there just because of the limitation. And we certainly booked our accommodation a number of weeks ago just to make sure we got in early. And we are doing the walk pretty much during the week. So we've got, we're doing the walk from Sunday uh, to Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So six days. Yeah. And we're not, we're in our motel on Friday. So it's really only. Sunday is not particularly a busy day because if people are going to go camping over the weekend, it tends to be Friday, Saturday. 
So for us, doing it during the week and it's not school holidays, it's provided a bit of flexibility. And just in terms of when you're booking um, the campsite, you're actually booking a a numbered site, aren't you? you? You're not just booking into a site where there are, you know, a, a handful of specific sites to choose from. That's the one. Um, so oh, it's we, the latter rather it's the, than it's the, the latter. Yeah. Okay. So when we got our booking confirmation from Parks Victoria through their booking uh, system on their website, we just got a. We didn't get campsite number three. It was we had booked one of these sites. So now I've seen people in all sorts of situations all around the country turn up and not pay for booking sites. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if rangers turn up to sort of want to see our booking proof at the end of the day. That'll be interesting. But you know, it potentially, uh, and I know looking at the the website tonight, some of the campsites are booked out. And the one in particular that I'm thinking of is the one that has the reduced number of campsites available uh, because uh, because of damage and it's because of flooding. There are some of the the area is in lower water lying areas. Uh, so I think it's the campsites that are above that that are available. So that's a bit of potluck when you turn up and... And find out there's 25 people there that shouldn't be there. Uh, yeah, yeah, or, uh, yeah, the only site left is the undesirable one. Well, yeah. So, so, yes, well, as long as it's not we'll sitting survive. underwater, we'll survive. Yeah. We'll survive. In addition to the campsites, there's also what they class as a kitchen shelter, which is basically just a timber shelter which has got a picnic table in it, which means you can cook your dinner and have your meal before you go back out to the rain, if that's the case, uh, to to go to bed for the night. So, yeah, these are designed just to keep you uh, dry while you're cooking your meal. Uh, And there is a water tank at each of these sites as well. Uh, Although, again, they do recommend filtering the water. Uh, and that's pretty usual on just about any any campsite you go. They'll say even if it's is, is fresh rainwater uh, filter, uh, because fresh rainwater often means bird and and possum poo in the in the in the gutters. And again, it's it's worthwhile filtering just for the sake. Well, of it. we'll definitely have our filters with yeah, us. We will. Mobile reception along the trail. Uh, the, the suggestion of the of the website is it's intermittent and mainly at the high points. And from our perspective, <laughs> that, that's code for almost non-existent, yeah. except when you're standing on a hilltop. Yeah, and this is going to be interesting to see how we go because I do plan on, uh, as per usual, I will be recording or we will be recording a podcast as we go, uh, and I am planning to release a podcast from the trail. When it gets released, it might be a bit late because it's going to depend on you know, where I reach a high point and where I've got a good enough signal to download a, uh, I'll upload an episode and get it to get it uh, published online. Yeah, and I'll do my best not to fall asleep in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> I did that on Human Hovel. <laughs> well, I think the good thing through here that basically the, uh, the day that we're going to be putting the podcast together and releasing it is basically one of the 14-kilometre days. So it should mean we've, we've got plenty of time if we have to wait for tides or we get, get to uh, 14 kilometres for us. If we don't get impacted by tides, we'll be at the campsite by lunchtime, uh, which means we've got the afternoon to do it. So, uh, so, so you reckon I'll be rested and I, I won't fall asleep? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, timing of the walk really is going to vary. This is one of these walks where you can do it year-round. I don't know why, but I I just like the August-September period. I try to avoid school holidays where I can. I prefer the cooler weather because it's always easy to get warm, whereas if it's scorching hot in the middle of December and January, there's not much you can do to cool down. 
Um, so I, I do like this cooler, well, the, the end of winter, early spring is my ideal hiking time. Um, but something I didn't realise and hadn't really thought about, we live in Canberra. Our rainfall averages around about 615 millimetres of rain a year. This part of Victoria where the Great Ocean Walk is located is one of the wettest parts of Victoria. Uh, the rainfall varies between 1,200 and 1,800 millimetres of rain a year. So it's wet. It's probably Tasmanian wet. Uh, and August is the wettest month of the year, followed by September, <laughs> which is the second wettest month of the year. Great. So, Great. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we expect rain. I mean, yeah, I think we'd be extremely lucky to go through six days and not get rain, but hopefully it'll be light rain, not torrential rain for six days. So I did expect rain uh, a little bit, but I probably expected more wind than rain. So Oh, we, we're going to get wind as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, again, the guidebook and the website do talk about there is nothing between this part of the coastline and the Antarctica. Uh, so basically it's open and exposed. Tasmania is sort of there in the way, but there's really not blocking much of the wind elf. So uh, again, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a windy sort of site as you would expect on any walk that hugs the coast. So that's not unusual. Yeah, that's right. Temperature-wise, I've been looking at the temperatures in relation to what we're getting here in Canberra, and certainly we're starting to warm up and moving into sort of spring weather. But I think today in Canberra we had uh, 10 degrees, uh, feels like around about 5 degrees. It was pretty uh, miserable. Uh, mm. um, and, but certainly it is warmer in that part of the coastline, but it's not going to be 18, 19, 20 degrees. It really is in the mid-teens. Uh, so, again, overheating is not going to be an issue. But, again, that's something I don't mind too much. Gear-wise, we will be carrying everything with us. So we're carrying the six days of food minus the breakfast on the first day and the, and the dinner on the last day. So, realistically, it's roughly five and a bit days worth of full days worth of food we're carrying. And we've actually gone relatively lightweight on food this time. Uh, over the past few years, I, I looked at some of my hikes uh, and I've started, you know, I think in about six years ago, we worked on roughly 900 grams per food per person per day. Uh, over the last couple of years, that's been roughly 650 grams of food per person per day. Uh, and this hike, we're roughly averaging around about 550 grams of food per person per day. And that's dehydrated food. It's not cooked food or anything like that. Uh, so you know, one thing that's sort of forced us to, to look at reducing the food again is whenever I come home, I will weigh and look at what food I haven't used uh, and then work out what it is that I, ha what I don't need to be carrying. So in this sort of instance here, it's roughly around about half a kilo's worth of food that we've lost uh, over that time period. Yeah, and I think uh, we haven't done it lightly. And as Tim says, uh, we've done it over many years and uh, checking when we come back what we've got left. And, you know, we've been, you know, fairly uh, prudent. Um, uh, we're not going to go hungry, <laughs> but uh, we always have way too much food and uh, – Either we don't uh, eat it at all or once we finish hiking, we just do this amazing binge of everything that's left over and that's probably not good for us either. <laughs> now, as far as the scenery and vegetation and animals concerned, I mean, again, looking at the guidebook and looking at the birds that are found along this trail, there's a lot of really amazing looking birds that I'm looking forward to seeing. And now this is assuming we do see them. 
but yeah, there's some um, the guide. The guidebook is well worthwhile picking up for this hike. I'll do a review of the book as part of the write up of the trip uh, when we get back. Uh, but it certainly has a lot of information, uh, more so than the website does, uh, and it's got a lot more photos to give you an indication of what's there. So this is typical coastal vegetation. There's quite a bit of variation along the 100-odd kilometres worth of uh, trail, including, and I know I know this is a bit of a running joke, the the 12 apostles, which is really the three and a half apostles. I know, a bit rude. Uh, I uh, say that, but... It- it's it's not fair, really, but yeah. No, no, but I think you know, for someone who's never been there before, they expect to see these twelve uh, large rock monoliths, and you know, and really, when you get there, you think, well, where are they? They're, they're missing. Well, they used to be there. They used to be there. Yeah, yeah. 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 So certainly from our perspective, we are very much looking forward to this walk. Um, It'll be interesting to see how we go through there. It'll be interesting to see what the vegetation is, given that we're coming just into the start of spring. I mean, obviously, if we would had done this walk three or four weeks later, the the wildflowers probably would have been better. But there's always seems to be something around it in flower. So I think uh, in that respect, we'll have plenty to see there. Animal life, again, uh, always a fan of birds, and it'll be interesting to see what we see along there. I'm sure we will see the odd snake as the weather starts warming up, uh, and you know, the odd kangaroo and wallaby along the way as well. So it's going to be interesting to see some of the things we do actually see along the trail. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it in terms of um, just the – uh, freedom of going for a long walk um, over several days. Um, the weather, you know, I think the weather's always going to be what the weather is. Um, I, I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the wildflowers uh, will be starting to come out. I know around home, uh, even though it's quite cold and, uh, you know, we've got had some miserable days, we are getting quite a lot of blossom out. So, um, fingers crossed, um, there might be some nice flowers that we'll see as well. Okay, so as I mentioned, we will be recording our experiences along the way as we go. So the plan is we will have two on-trail podcasts, which will be episode 228 and 229, and then we'll do a final trail wrap-up in episode 230, um, including as well a full trail write-up that will go through day by day what we're seeing and what we're experiencing, just to provide a help if you're interested in looking at doing this walk at a later stage. Okay, that's all for this week's episode. We hope you've enjoyed, and we look forward to bringing you our next on-trail episode. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.